You're listening to All Things Crime, brought to you by Abject Entertainment. Be sure to check out some of the other great true crime podcasts from this network, including The Murder in My Family, Missing Persons, DNA ID, Scene of the Crime, Three Men and a Mystery, and Zodiac Speaking. All of these podcasts are available for you to binge on right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe where you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Warning, All Things Crime is a true crime production that may contain violent or disturbing material. Viewer or listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, Jared here. This is part one with my discussion with Sergeant Betsy Branter-Smith of the National Police Association. Enjoy. everybody welcome welcome to all things crime i am super excited to have an amazing guest uh, this morning uh, her name's betsy branter smith and she is the uh as far as law enforcement goes she's the jack of all trades has been around for a long time and i, I tell you i'm more than excited to have her on betsy welcome thank you so much for having me i'm excited to get a chance to talk to you Oh, fantastic. So let's go through your resume a little bit. First of all, 29 years uh, serving in law enforcement in, in various areas, mostly in Illinois, my understanding. Yes, I actually uh, became a police dispatcher in my little town in uh, Illinois. When I was a senior in high school, I worked the four to 12 shift. And I think my dad thought that would keep me out of trouble. And uh, so I had a fun senior year in high school listening to the radio of all my friends getting in trouble. And, uh, and then I went to college and I was a dispatcher. And two weeks out of college, I found myself at age 21 in the Cook County Sheriff's Police Academy just outside of Chicago, a little bit of a culture shock. And I had 29 great years. Uh, just, I loved law enforcement. And I'm still, you know, a big part of the profession now. Can't seem to give it up. Yeah, well, you know, once it gets in your blood, I, I had 14 years in the military. And I'll tell you, it's... Um, I've been out for, geez, almost 20 years now, but uh, amazingly, that's, it's, it's such an ingrained part of you that it's impossible to give it up. Yep. And why would you want to, right? Well, exactly. And I, I was very fortunate that I had a um, kind of a parallel career as I was, uh, you know, moving up, um, you know, doing different things in law enforcement. I was uh, a trainer locally, and then I got a, a little bit of statewide attention. Then I got some national attention and um, ended up uh, writing for a bunch of different entities. And, uh, and then I got a job uh, with the law enforcement television network, some old time cops will remember that LETN, which was kind of a CNN for cops at the time and, uh, um, got a show on there. And then, um, everything just exploded. I ended up becoming, uh, the only still am the only female instructor for the street survival seminar. And, uh, and then we started our own company with my husband, uh, Dave Smith, who, uh, again, a lot of cops know is J.D. Buck Savage. So I'm also Mrs. J.D. Buck Savage. <laughs> and, uh, 
And that's what we do now. We run around and, and we're training cops and we write a lot of articles. And now I'm the spokesman for the National Police Association. So you can see me on Newsmax and Fox News and, and Town Hall and, and on Dinesh D'Souza's podcast. And, and, uh, and I, plus I have my own show on Pluto and the first, uh, the NPA report. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, I'm busy and, uh, and life is good. That is awesome. Yeah, I was going to mention that you were the national spokesperson for the National Police Association. So that is awesome. Obviously, you're in the know and understand everything that's going on around the country with law enforcement. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it's really a it's a difficult time for law enforcement. You know, there's this anti-police defund the police sentiment happening that, you know, we dealt with this back in a post-Ferguson world, you know, after the Michael Brown, the completely justified Michael Brown shooting in Ferguson, Missouri, there was this um, anti-police sentiment that was largely perpetuated by uh, uh, the president. And, uh, we really coming out of that, we had a pro guy in the White House and, uh, and things were looking really good. And crime was pretty low comparatively in the United States because the economy was good. Then uh, the George Floyd situation happened in uh, Minneapolis. And uh, this whole anti-cop sentiment, uh, again, just exploded and now we're seeing crime on the rise, especially violent crime, you know, it's crazy. And I'm sure you talk about this, that we, in 2020, we recorded the highest ever homicide rate in our nation's history. That's just crazy. And, and here we are dealing with all that and still there's so much talk of reimagine policing, defund policing, um, and it's happening all over the country, it's crazy. Another thing that, that is really crazy about it is how concentrated it is in certain areas. Because yes. when you, even though it's nationwide, and yes, the, the crime rate as a whole is ticking up. And I think that's from a lot of that attitude that you're talking about. And, and that stems from our leader, quote, quote, leadership. But it's not everywhere. You know, I live in Utah. And other than downtown Salt Lake, even after the George Floyd incident, uh, there was one night of rioting. And then the Salt Lake City PD and, and other agencies around there, they shut that thing down. And we haven't had any rioting in, in Utah since. And so most of this crime is pretty locally based. And I think that, again, is a direct relationship with and a reflection from the local leadership. I, I mean, I, I look at Portland, for example. I just see absolutely no excuse for that. And that is totally allowed by the, the Portland mayor. It's almost encouraged. Yeah, which is sad because we were talking earlier about um, uh, Dion Joseph and I'm a huge fan of his, especially on LinkedIn. And by the way, any of our listeners, you absolutely need to get on social media and follow Betsy and also follow some of my other guests that I've had. Some of these just absolute fantastic patriot and, and wonderful people. So you need to follow them and, and definitely understand what they understand because uh, without policing, without a strong law enforcement across the country, you think the chaos is bad now. I can't even imagine how bad it would be if this whole defund the police. Well, ironically, uh, the, the defund the police movement that started in Minneapolis 
they've turned around because of this crime spike and they've basically said oops you know i guess we need to allocate what was it 6.4 million dollars or something like that toward bolstering up the police agency uh, now that they've decimated it well yeah what well, they 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 ended up having to they took nine million dollars out of the police budget they ended up having to come back and put 6.4 million back into it just to try and recruit new police officers and get them trained because minneapolis pd is down over 200 cops they've got uh, about 150 police officers who have put in for um, disability largely related to the george floyd riots and and a lot of the disability claims that are being processed right now are for post-traumatic stress the, if people knew what really happened during the the george floyd riots of may 2020 to the minneapolis police department they would be absolutely astounded those officers and we've talked to them they felt that they were left to die they were running three and four to a patrol car they had uh they had outdated riot gear not everybody even had a helmet and uh, they had minimal communication with leadership they were told no matter what happens you're going to have to uh, not arrest anybody and then those officers at the third precinct were forced to watch as the third precinct was burned to the ground by Black Lives Matter and Antifa rioters. They watched their home burn down and, mm. and they were not allowed to arrest anybody. It was just a, it, it's an unbelievably horrific situation. And unfortunately, we're about to revisit that because you know we're, we're coming into jury selection for Officer Derek Chauvin. Um, they already have erected you know, fences around the Hennepin County Courthouse. Um, they're bringing in the National Guard, and uh, it, it's just going to be, it's going to be horrible for the community, for the local businesses, and for the police officers. You want to hear something really amazing is uh, Hennepin County up in Minneapolis uh, purchased an MVAC system. And uh, if you don't know what an, uh, an MVAC is, it's, uh, it's a wet vacuum system designed to collect DNA. And I am headed up there next week. <laughs> so, awesome. yeah so i I'm, I'm not telling my wife what's going on up there but uh i'll, I'll tell her when i get back but uh, guess where but, i was honey yeah yeah during jury selection and you know they, they said yeah you, you know we're everything's boarded up but we're not really concerned yet until like around the end of april when the uh and and they they're basically uh lining themselves up that it doesn't matter what the outcome of this jury or, or what this uh, court case is, it's going to be ugly. So, yes. you know, if, if he's convicted, there'll be rioting. If he's uh, not guilty, there'll, there will be rioting. I'm Mike Morford, and I've been researching the Zodiac case for years. Zodiac, just the name. It sounds sinister. It inspires fear. The fact that a serial killer would give himself this moniker is disturbing. He would go on to taunt police by sending letters and codes to newspapers for years. And the attacks, they were something else altogether. If you were a young couple in a secluded area, you could easily be a target. And it wasn't just shootings on dark lovers' lanes. Zodiac would even attack with a knife in broad daylight while wearing an executioner-style hood. After a while, Zodiac changed tactics, and even lone cab drivers weren't safe. The Zodiac Killer terrorized the San Francisco Bay Area and then vanished, but he left a lot of clues behind along the way. 
clues that we're going to examine closely on the new podcast, Zodiac Speaking. New episodes of Zodiac Speaking come out every other Saturday starting March 13, 2021. Subscribe today wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. And so, again, that is all based on uh, the, the, the county, the city, and the state leadership that, uh, and, and this, these are all politicians. And so I think there's so much just concerned with their own careers as opposed to doing what's right. And I think that's one of the, the saddest parts of what's happening in the United States right now is everybody looks at it through the lens of political expediency and really what, you know, what is, how is this going to benefit my career as opposed to really what is, what is right for the people and allowing BLM or whoever it is burn the place down because they're upset about the outcome of a trial or now don't get me wrong. Everybody and including every cop that I've talked to is just horrified by what happened to George Floyd. Nobody disputes that. But to allow the, the crimes that happen afterwards, it's like, why, why justify one with another? Exactly. And, and that's the frustration. And then when we see, you know, now in a post-George Floyd era, we see uh, various officer-involved shootings, you know, uh, like the Rayshard Brooks shooting in Atlanta, the Jacob Blake shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin. These were justified uh, law enforcement uses of force. And yet, you know, there are the riots and the lies in the media, and it's incredibly frustrating. It, it, you know, it goes back to what happened in Ferguson, Missouri, where uh, Officer Darren Wilson ended up shooting Michael Brown, who was trying to take his gun, trying to kill him. And three times now, Officer Darren Wilson has been found to have done no wrongdoing. And yet both he and his wife, who was also a cop, they can't work in law enforcement, you know, and so careers were ruined because of a, a, a national temper tantrum over something that was justified. And that's the frustration when you talk about police leadership is one of the things that our our police leaders need to do is stand up when those officers, when police officers do the right thing and say, we did the right thing. We, it's unfortunate when we have to use deadly force on somebody. That's one of the things I, I um, cause you have the same opportunity I do to interview really solid people in the law enforcement profession and beyond. One of the best interviews I ever did was with Chief James Craig from Detroit PD. And when you look at the post George Floyd era, you'll notice that Detroit never burned. You know, there were peaceful protests, but Detroit never burned to the ground. And that's because they have a strong police chief who gets out there in front of people and says, look, here's what we did. Here's why we had to do it. Here's what I know. Here's what I don't know. I'll get you more information. And he's always out there talking to the community and talking to the media and he works with the community. He doesn't kowtow to them. That's real leadership. Being in the corporate world, I, I look at these kind of things and I said, you know, imagine the CEO of a company, uh, something goes sideways, like they have a product problem or something like that. And the first thing they do is they say, you know what, either I'm not going to say anything and I'm just going to let the, the media narrative or whatever happen or uh, I'm going to go out there and make excuses for it and 
allow my company building to be burned down because people are mad at, at the product being, uh, you know, it, none of it makes sense. It's like, look, if you want to be called a police chief, or if you want to be called a city commissioner or a city council person or a mayor, then there's a certain obligation that you have to not only your employees, but to all of your citizens, not just the people that are mad, and they can be mad. It says in the First Amendment, you have every right to peacefully protest. But the moment you pick up a rock or something and throw it through a window, you have now, now the entire game has changed and you are no longer a peaceful protester. And they, right. they can't now tolerate you're a violent that. rioter. Yeah. You, yeah. You can't tolerate violence. Right. And, and there have been. Uh, several police chiefs who have lost their jobs over the last 10, 11 months, you know, like Chief Carmen Best in Seattle, you know, she ended up retiring because she stood up for her officers. She denounced the violence. She denounced things like Chaz Chop. And she ended up, you know, having to leave. And there were other police chiefs, the city council or the mayor, whatever, wants me to do. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kowtow to the rage mob. And we just can't do that. We cannot give in to the rage mob. We, when, when you know, you become a police officer, you just like when you serve in the military, you end up raising your hand and saying that you will defend the Constitution. And the Constitution says peaceful protest is appropriate. Violent rioting is not. And there's something else that. I, I've, I've spoken to numerous interviews about, and that is the only, the only person that hates a bad cop more than anybody else is a good cop. And exactly. when you have 99% of the entire 700,000 cops out there that really detest the bad cops and the, because they all pay for the sins of the few, and when, when that happens, you know, they, they will get rid of them. And, you know, people have to be just like, eventually the bad doctors will be discovered and they'll, they'll get rid of them. They'll lose their medical license or whatever. And it, it's amazing that nobody talks about canceling doctors, <laughs> you know, or, or defunding them. Right. I mean, that's what, and I'm glad you brought that up because we talk about that a lot. 250,000 people a year die from medical mistakes. Mistakes. Yeah. And yet nobody's pro out protesting in hospitals. Nobody's calling to defund the doctors. Nobody's calling to put the doctors in prison, you know, and, and get rid of the whole profession. Yeah. You know, imagine if American law enforcement would, you know, we, we end up, you know, American law enforcement ends up killing about eight to 15 unarmed people a year. Uh, now, most of those people were trying to kill a cop with either take the cop's gun, get obtaining a weapon that they didn't have, running us over with a car. It's a very rare occurrence. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that, that, again, we call leadership into task is we've got to fight that false narrative that American law enforcement officers are out there hunting down young unarmed black men to murder. It's just not happening. And Black Lives Matter and Antifa will try to convince you 
that it is. And they talk about this epidemic of black people being killed by the police. And that's just false. And it's sad because honestly, a, a really amazing profession and full of really good people. I know a lot of cops and they are all good people. I, I, I'm sure, like I said, I haven't met enough yet. It's just a matter of time, but I haven't met enough that I've actually met somebody that I, I just look at them and it's, I'm like, that is just not a good dude. Thank you for listening to All Things Crime. We are so grateful for all of our listeners. If you enjoyed this, please give us a positive review so other people can find it as well. Have an amazing All Things Crime Day.